Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined as always by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Welcome to the French Open, Courtney Nguyen. We're here. It's starting soon. It's pretty exciting. This is the first time you and I have ever covered this event as credentialed media. It is. I've never been here before. Yeah, Ben had never been here before. I'd been here as a fan back in 2011. Mm -hmm. Didn't have a great experience, as most people who know me know. And I have a very tenuous relationship with this city. This is my first time back since 2011. And so far, it's been interesting. It hasn't been bad. It's been interesting. I think it's been interesting veering on great. I think it's been awesome. I mean, you have a belly full of steak free and I do. crepe. So I'm not sure. No, no, no. Tonight was fine. We had a very nice meal. We decided to go out to, you know, leave the site and uh, go have a proper meal inside the city because Roland Garros is not in the city center. No. Uh, there won't yeah. be many chances once we get going. Exactly. Yeah. So we were like, let's do it now. So we did. We got steak frites. It was tasty. There were double portions, a, a lovely surprise, I thought. We ordered our food, we finished it, we thought we were done, and then they brought us more. The exact same thing, just again. Yeah, they like just came out with like more French fries, uh, or fries, as they call them in France. Frites, frites. I know, but... Oh, I get it, it was a French joke, I'm sorry. That, wow, dude, that was such a drop of the ball. And they gave us more steak, and it was great, but then it started raining, so we decided to come home and record this podcast for you all. Because we are nothing if not people who give when the weather's bad. <laughs> but only then. Pretty much. If it was nice out, you might not be hearing from us. No, I'd be drunk it's... and then Saint-Germain-de-Prey. Easily. Right? Easily. Yeah. Easily. So things are looking up in Paris as far as we can tell. The weather's been craptastic during Qualis Week for the most part. It hasn't finished yet. It was supposed to finish today, I believe. And it's still going. So we don't have any of the qualifiers placed. But we do have the draw. Let's Which talk about the exciting. draw. Let's talk about this tournament that's about to happen called the French Open, or Roland Garros, as some people call it, because <sighs> that's not what Americans call it, let's no. be very clear. The French Open. It's the French Open. You know, it's like the French dressing. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> exactly. Like it, should, it is it basically is, the French dressing of all of the dressings that are available to you of, in tennis. It's the same color. Kind of. It is? Yeah, yeah. It's got that orange thing. I used to love French dressing. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's like tangy and right? sweet. It's, it's like... It's like a sophisticated ranch. <laughs> it thinks it's European. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like your your kind of pretentious asshole cousin who went and studied abroad for a year and came back and was like, "Oh, let me get, let me show you how they eat salad in France." And <laughs> showed you this thing that makes no sense. It's like syrup. I think that tangy syrup. I feel like French dressing is kind of on the decline. I feel like I don't hear about it that much or no, see it as an option. It's not. I feel like it, it was. It's been overtaken by blue cheese. Everybody really? eats blue cheese. Don't uh, even get me started about blue cheese dressing. It is the bane of my existence. It's salad bars because I like ranch dressing and the Russian roulette you play when you ladle on a creamy white substance upon your salad and you take a bite and you realize it's blue cheese and not ranch is just the you worst. You have to smell it before you put it on your salad. I know, but then you feel weird because like it's a salad bar. And you can't get the sneeze guard. You can't really smell properly. And you and you don't want to like put your nose next to salad while like players are walking by being like, why are you putting... Oh, not just in tournament contests. This is a general oh, life Oh no, this is just a general me. life yeah. problem. But it's, yeah, it's, I don't like it. Yeah, no, generally I'm the Blue cheese is a deal breaker for a me. A safe vinaigrette usually does the trick for me. Well, you're so fancy. No wonder you like Paris. I know, right? Mm, that's weird. Yeah, so... Vinaigrette is a French word. Vinaigre is French. It's vinegar and stuff. So, yeah, let's go with that. 
and move on from that very quickly. Um, men's Speaking of vinegar, let's talk about Maria Sharapova's draw. There you go. Segway. <laughs> Segway. Let's start with the ladies. Uh, obviously, the big headline out of the draw is the people who Serena Williams can play in her quarter. Most relevant for tournament favorite purposes is Maria Sharapova sitting there in the quarterfinal, potentially. And that sucks for Sharapova to not uh, put lipstick on this pig. I mean, she is defending final points. She can beat anybody in this field but Serena. And I'm not saying it's 100% impossible she can beat Serena, but it's unlikely she'll beat Serena. We're basing it and off data, gets, stats. We have a pretty decent sample size <laughs> at this point, yeah. you guys. Ten years worth. Right. And so let's start with Serena's section of the draw and noting that Serena can play Sharapova in the quarters and also Venus in the third round. She'll be their earliest slam meeting, earliest meeting in any tournament actually since 1998 when they met in the second round of the Australian Open, which was Serena's first ever slam main draw. So things are not working out super well for the Williamses because they don't want to play each other in the third round, safe to say. And they both really, except for Venus having Belinda Bencic in the first round, it's a bit of an unknown quantity. Otherwise, Serena obviously seems safe to make the third round. One would assume that um, Alize Lim is not going to pull in Virginia Rosano, although the interaction on them is interesting. So let's just talk through Serena's draw, Courtney. Give it to you. What do you see in each of those hurdles? Everyone I've named I think is interesting, including Alize Lim in her own personal dynamic way for how Serena was talking about that matchup today. Um, I'm not convinced that Serena Williams knew that when I asked her, hey, you drew Alize, how do you feel about that? That she knew I was talking about Alize Lim and right. not Cornet. Yeah. Because she was like, she's been playing great lately. She, I'm like, really? Did she say that? She did. Yeah. She's been playing really well. I'm like, I, you just went into like robot Serena mode and just kind of giving the, yeah, the standard weird. answer. And it was weird because Alize Lim is one of the few people who Serena is like legitimately friends with on the tour. Who's like not like, oh yeah, we see each other in the locker room, we say hi. It's like, no, she and Alize Lim are like tight because they're Ali more Toggly buddies. Exactly. They're more Toggly buddies and also Alize Lim is dating Jeremy Chardy and Serena and Jeremy Chardy are quite good buddies as yeah. well. The so, three of them plus Patrick yeah. hang together all the time in Brisbane and stuff. I mean, they're... Sort of a set. Yeah. So it you know it was interesting though because when we did ask Serena about it today in press, she didn't she did not seem in the mood to joke about it. Like no. I thought because it was the first question that came up and I was just like you know you drew Alize like talk about that like how do you feel about that kind of asking it in kind of this jokey manner, and she just like answered it kind of dead. It was straight so game face. face. Yeah, I was I was like oh are we doing that already? I did not know the tournament already started. I thought we had two more days, Serena. And also. <laughs> I understand the the idea of being like not being like oh you know we're friends it's gonna be fun out there blah 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 and I understand doing that once you get there but I would say Lim is also not somebody who's ever won a slam match nor somebody who really would be expected to win against most people in this draw she's one thirty three she's not a bad player she made third round of qualifying in Australia I saw a bunch of her there decent player but not a threatening not a threat. player no not and a threat. so for Serena to be all Treating like, her like she's Def a Con 5 about if it if anything maybe it was like trying to give respect maybe she thought it was to Alize Lim her friend and being like she's not a you know she's, that's not like a walkover like blah, blah blah but I just was surprised by her demeanor not with the words that she said but just the her tone. demeanor yeah. and tone with when she answered it I was just like oh okay and the weird thing about it was that the press conference happened after Alize Lim had sent those tweets out about oh, oh my gosh like I just ran into Serena five minutes ago, and I asked her, did you see the draw? Or, because she was there, obviously. But Serena left for the women's draw, so she didn't actually oh, see Oh, that, that would make sense. And she's like, no. But basically, they had kind of talked about it, it seemed like. And Serena kind of disavowed any conversation that had happened. I'm not sure they talked directly about it to, to 
parse Alize's tweets, which she was, I'm sure, not intending. I think she was just saying, like, oh, we talked to Serena, did you see the draw, did you see who I played? And Serena was like, no. And then Alize looked on her own and found out that she played Serena. Mm-hmm. That was kind of how I read it. Anyway, that's not going to be a very consequential match. The, what do you think about Serena drawing Venus? Let's go to the next step on this draw. I adore Venus. I think people know that I do. I don't think Venus Williams is getting to the third round here. Okay. Who do you think so. she's losing to? Uh, I think she could lose to Benchich. I think she could very easily lose to Zhang Zhe. Yeah. Um, that's a PTSD match. What was that? U.S. Open? Yeah, last year. Ooh, yeah. that was rough. That was a rough match. Um, and Venus is coming in with very little form. You know, she won one match, uh, uh, Rome, pulled out of Madrid, but won one match in Rome, and then lost to Carlos Suarez Navarro, which is a totally acceptable loss, given yeah. Carlos Suarez Navarro's... Is and was sick. Great. She was sick in, in, Rome, in Rome. She was sick? Mm-hmm. I didn't know she was sick. Oh, yeah, she was sick. She was ill? No, she was, like, sniffly and, and cold-having cold, mm. cold having symptoms. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then, yeah. Well, I don't th- know if the rain and the horrible weather here is going to make that any better. So I don't really see that third-rounder, the Venus, yeah. Serena third-rounder happening. Um, and obviously, Venus, we talked, I think, on the show, maybe not on the show, but definitely offline at least, about how it might have made sense for Venus to skip this tournament for purely strategic purposes the way people used to do for decades. People used to very commonly skip the French Open if they were better on grass to prep for grass. And for Venus, at least in the back of her mind, she knows that she wants to do well at Wimbledon. That's where she's aiming to peak each year. And she didn't get to play it last year, so there's something to make up for there. And it's in the back of her mind. If she's in a tight second round match against Zhang Zhe, and she knows, oh, if I kill myself to win this, I get to play Serena. And that's not going to be fun for yeah, anybody. No. You know. So I'll mean, be interested to see how it plays out, but I, I would agree that I think that Venus um, is more likely, uh, could very well not make it to that that arranged date. Um, and I do think that if, Venus, if Serena gets to play whoever beat Venus, the person's in for a whooping. They're toast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we could go through match round by round by round, but I mean, the way that the draw has panned out, especially if you assume that, that, that Sharapova is not going to be beating Serena in the quarters, it's very hard to see anybody in this draw that at any stage that's going to, to knock her out. I mean, I... What would have changed that? What Who could have, hypothetically, like, what would have been a dangerous shot for Serena, who is so good? Like, an Ivanovich fourth round kind of thing? A Halep would have been interesting. Okay. I think that that, that would have been interesting as a semi-possibility. As Right now, it's either Ridvonska or Kerber. Easy semi. That, and Kerber's not going to make it. She's she's kind of struggling right now. Yeah, possibly. that move to that corner now, because he's Nothing else than Sharapova, really, except for, you know, our condolences. <laughs> the bunch of floaters in the Ravonska quarter, people who could be not complete shocks to make it, including people like Jeannie Bouchard, Flavia Panetta, Carlos Suarez Navarro. Um, I would say Cornet is a plausible, theoretically, semifinalist. She said today that she's hoping the French fans give her wings and that she flies over her matches which was an interesting turn of phrase. <laughs> and she's a gem. She I just is... want to say, Alize Cornet, I could just sit and, l- and just listen to her talk. She's she real, amuses she's me. She's very engaging. She's so engaging. And she's, I mean, she has she has a charm about her. It's I mean, genuine. And it's this sort of genuine, like, this is... Almost the... er- genuine earnestness. Like, she's not being it, mean or no. any... It's like, hello, welcome to the planet I'm on. I'll give you a tour. <laughs> You know, and this yeah. really, and this really, and I mean, that totally is a positive thing. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting quarter. Radvanska or Kerber, neither would be a threat to make the semi against either, win the, make the final, excuse me, against either Serena or Maria. Let's even say right. Serena happens to crash out early, gets hurt again, like in Australia, whatever. Those are players who share Pope would also be a heavy favorite against everybody. Yep. So in that sense, the top half is pretty stable, pretty top heavy. 
Notice we didn't mention Lissiki who's in there because she's been irrelevant. And it's um, Clay. Although if Serena does get Lissiki in fourth round, it'd be interesting just for they both get so up for it. Yeah. Um, not that Serena could lose, I don't think, but she would get, she would be wanting it so badly to crush her. Yeah. Bottom half uh, is a little bit more even than top half in terms of both quarters are relatively kind of the same. Good. I think Ivanovich found herself in a pretty workable part of the draw. Really? I, I put I, I put her into my list of draw losers today. Oh, really? Well, okay. She does have a tough um, if first round. If you work it round by round, it's pretty tough tricky. Tough second round. Her third round is Safarova, which is not a worst-case scenario, but it's not great. It's not great. Safarova, who's basically been on the verge of upsetting everybody this year in any big tournament. But hasn't gotten anywhere past the verge yet. Sure, I know, but... No, that's true. It's close, knocking. That'll have to come at some point. Kvitova, yeah, these are not easy things. Kuznetsova. Kuznetsova, yeah, that's true. Kuznetsova could be Kvitova there. There's other, like, dangerous... And, and obviously she opens o- against Caroline opens, Garcia. And gets Alina Svitolina after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casey Delacqua has not been playing horrible ball. Could I could see her making third round, but she would that would not be yeah, a that match for Anna. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's not a Round by round, draw. I think, just But I'm saying that she to wanted Halep. to be in the Halep. Uh, if you weren't getting, you, you're not, yeah, basically course. she's not with Lena or Serena or Maria, is what I'm saying. She would have liked to have been in the, 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 the Kerber Aga. Oh, for sure. Order, for sure. Everyone wants no to be No one there. wants to be around, uh, Halep, assuming Halep is 100%, and Halep routined her in Madrid, so, beat her straight in straight sets, so yeah. it's not like it's like, ooh, yeah, I'm gonna play Simona Halep. I think that it's, I think it's a really tricky draw for Ivanovic, I think both Ivanovic and Sharapova got hosed. I think that it, it, it definitely kind of, I know for myself, kind of deflated, the kind of preview for the tournament because it would just be, it went from at least there were like four or five names where depending on how the draw shook out they could all make semis and it would be really really interesting now i really feel like a lot of air has been kind of let out of the women's draw because of the or women's tournament because of the draw completely fair and i think there's going to be a fairly crappy semi that top half semi we don't think it's going to be any good like we said um obviously this well, that's why we play the matches we'll see how it goes but from this far out it doesn't seem great we also, and what we were saying before, I think Ivanovich and Sharapova should have been considered in the top five tournament favorites to win the tournament. Mm-hmm. And so now they're given tough roads. Ivanovich's, I think, is more escapable than Sharapova's. Correct, because but, that could all bust out. I mean, right. the thing about her quarter, of all of those names that we're mentioning, they're also unreliable names to yeah. actually do what they need to do. So if Ivanovich is, is, just maintains her level, she should beat a Caroline Garcia. She should beat a Svitolina. She should beat a Safarova. She should beat you know, a, a Kuznetsova or a, or a Kvitova. Yeah. A lot of those players might not be there, mm-hmm. um, which obviously would open up her draw. So, yeah, it's a very hot, cold uh, draw for Ivanovic. She could end up cruising or because the whole thing busts apart, yeah. or she could get bounced in the first round. I think the last quarter of the Leonard quarter is very straightforward. Yeah. I'm not saying that Leonard's a complete lock. No, not at all. <laughs> but at least it's very clear like who's going to be playing well and who won't be, Yeah, if that makes any sense. I think sense. that's totally true. Uh Yankovic is a pretty good bet to make the quarters, I think. Or Yankovic versus Irani for the quarters. Obviously, Yankovic lost to Irani in uh, the Rome semi. We don't know how Irani is doing with her injury because she was, was getting an MRI at the last point. So yeah, her, her, I, her rip cording here would not be a huge shock. I, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that I, I have not seen her on the practice schedule. I haven't either. That's so, true. you know, that's something to take into consideration, which is potentially good news for Madison Keys. Who, who drew her in the first round. So, um, you know, that that's an opportunity for Madison, but... Um, and then uh, Lena gets Pekovic third round, which is the other very clearly marked red flag potential match. Mm-hmm. Pekovic win that match. Not be a shock. She won Charleston. She's played decently, if not winning much since then. And hasn't played bad. Hasn't played great, but hasn't been bad. You're making a face for those who can't see it. it uh, who did 
did she lose to? She lost to Panetta in Stuttgart. Uh-huh. She lost to Serena in Rome. Obviously. And I don't remember who she lost to in Madrid. No, she lo- no, but she lost to somebody just this last week in Schmalzburg. Oh, Puig. She Puig. lost to Puig. Who made the final? She did make the and final. And might have won this tournament by the time you hear this. Who knows? It's entirely possible. Okay, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's Lena. It's the, the, the you know, that's... Certain players have a certain kind of mantra, right? So with Serena, it's like if she plays the best, she's the best player in the world, doesn't matter who's in her draw, you know, never bet against her, but can you bet on her, whatever. Yeah. Lena is, doesn't matter who, how easy her draw is, her draw will always contain herself, and she can always just combust. And, you know, I think that had, unfortunately, her, her Rome campaign ended, you know, with a bit of illness and a three-set loss to Irani, which was pretty surprising considering she had never lost to Irani before She was then. sick, yeah. And she was ill. But, um, yeah, it, it's hard. It's it's a little hard to know what to expect from her here. But I really like that phrase you had. Her draw will always contain herself. I'm just imagining, like, Lena going back to the player lounge after the draw ceremony and someone being like, hey, Nah, who'd you draw? And she's like, I drew myself. <laughs> I got myself for, I'm host. for one round to seven rounds. There's always yeah. going to be me. That's so, tough. Yeah. Uh, pick for this title, Serena. 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 Done. It's it's. I mean, it's. I not because I don't want Serena to win it. I mean, I hope that there are more surprises. I hope. I I do think that, you know, Sharapova playing Serena on clay is about as good as it's going to get for her in terms of maximizing her opportunities to take her out. You have to think at some point that she gets that win, you know, and so I don't want to write her off. But I think that what Serena did in Rome was was pretty darn impressive. So, yeah. Do you want to talk about this player? Caroline? Wickmeyer? Wickmeyer! I do think it's funny that Caroline Wozniak is playing Yanina Wickmeyer in the first round, but continue. Because of, because of the 2009 yes. moment. Yanina Wickmeyer. Yanina Wickmeyer. But, uh, yeah, Caroline Wozniak, things have changed since we talked to you last uh-huh. about uh, the life of, of young Caroline. Unfortunately, engagement was broken off by Rory McIlroy uh, in just really curious circumstances. I mean... I don't even understand releasing a, putting out a press release where you say that I saw the wedding invitations and that's why I decided to, to break up with her. Like, you know what, if your excuse is that dumb, honestly, just put, we broke up, I broke off the engagement. Don't put a reason. No comment. No yeah. comment. Just be like, it's private. No one needs to know. You know? Like, it's... Ugh. Speculation is not going to be... It is theoretically, one would hope, speculation would not be worse than I mailed the invitation. Not just I saw them, I sent them. And People received anyway, them. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so Caroline will obviously most likely be motivated to, to do something here. And but she'll have a lot of support from the tennis community, from what we sure. can tell. I mean, people are, media and uh, players alike are rallying around Caroline. People, Caroline... I'd you, wear a Team though, Carol shirt. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But yeah, so I think Caroline will be motivated to play here. I'm not sure. The problem is, with this motivation, she's letting, letting a fire under herself and she's not 100% because she's been injured. She missed Rome with non-Roy-related reasons, obviously. And... And has been struggling with injuries throughout injury. the se- yeah. season. And before that, wasn't even playing great. And this is her worst surface. And this is her worst tournament, worst slam. She's never made quarters here. I don't think. No, she hasn't made quarters here. Yeah, this is a rough proposition for her under any circumstances. So, there'll be a lot of attention on Caroline. She has a... I mean, she gets... Uh, what was... Uh, Wickmeyer first. Uh, Solar Espinosa, who's currently in the final in uh, Strasbourg. As a qualifier. Next, as a qualifier, yeah. So she'll be exhausted, at least. And Skepper's actually played really well in Rome. Um, so not a, not a gimme draw, but and then gets Lena fourth. So 
I don't think the Cinderella Caroline thing will happen. Maybe it could be saved till grass, but we were saying that we're glad that she's not going to be facing the media for the first time in England because that'd be much rougher in terms of on the kid because the tabloid reporters at Wimbledon specifically will just try to make her cry. And they'll do it still even if she plays the French. Whereas it's a bit more uh, distance. I mean, I do... Well, obviously, I don't I don't know because I've never actually been in the French Open press room. So I don't... But my guess is that people are here to cover this as a sport. Yeah, much and more. And as a sporting event and not as this... Like last year at Wimbledon is when you had the tabloid reporter asking Maria about the Rolling Stone stuff and then eliciting all of those comments about Patrick and things like that. I don't think that question would have come in the French oh, Open. Was that a tabloid reporter? Pretty sure. Okay. But anyway, there are reporters who asked Andy Murray things about Feliciano Lopez being attractive to his mom and things like that. And just things that are intentionally trying to needle them and get, like, headlined stories and ask them things about, oh, Kim looks so nervous. What shampoo does she use? <laughs> you know, along those lines. Don't give the Daily Mail your ideas. Sorry. Sorry. You should charge for them at least. I really, really should. Yeah, so that's that's the sort of subplot that we'll get. We should mention that because it will get talked about mm-hmm. plenty this week. Men's draw features Rafael Nadal at the top. Rafael. Can we just, first of all, just take a, a, a moment and just, I don't know if I want to applaud it or if I want to roll my eyes at the French Open printing the draws. The boys are on blue, the girls are on pink. I felt when like I, I was walking around with, like, baby shower notices. And that's what I got. I got it. I was like, it's a boy, it's a girl. <laughs> yeah. When I first saw them, I was like, oh, that's stupid. But then I was, like, looking at my desk, like, I want to find the women's draw. It's really and it was pink, and it was really useful. So I've, what, I've like turned. Like I said, I, did, I kind of wanted to roll my eyes, but at the same time, it was really, really They're practical. doing things well so far, for the most part, as an organization on our end. Except it's been, for internet. Except for internet, obviously, which has been horrendous. Horrendous. Rafael Nadal opens, has a very tough draw. Gets Ginepri first, which is just cannon fodder, American wild card. Um, not expected to do much under any circumstances, will not beat Nadal. Um, although they both used to wear sleeveless shirts, Robbie might still. I haven't seen him play in a while. Um, so that's something they have in common, which is a point of conversation. And what's that? <laughs> They're also having their issues with follicles on top of their head. Follicular retention is yes, what you're saying. Exactly. Okay, that's what you were... Well, you were, I just wanted to say they had more in common than I know, but you can't make shirts. gestures. I, can't. I know, I just was like pointing because I didn't know if it was appropriate to say. But they're both, you know, a little thin up top. It's been so said. It's been said. Um, but who isn't, you know, I guess. <laughs> what? Um, Roger. But, well, in Rome. Okay, he has like this crazy receding hairline, but like it's a nice full head of hair. Okay, there you go. And Novak. Uh, yeah, Novak has plenty of hair. And Delpo. Yeah, sure. And Delpo, Delpo's very hairy. Dimitrov. Yeah. Brownich. She pays attention to these things. In case you were wondering if Courtney has studied the hair density of the ATP when top 20, you have the answer to go is yes. photo wires all day long and look at pictures, and you, uh, it just happens. Okay. Uh, speaking of things that happened, Grigor Dimitrov's Vine he did on... The best. On Roland Garros is pretty great. We both tweeted it. You should look it up. Uh, but Rafael Nadal could get Grigor Dimitrov in the, four, in the quarters. Before that, he could play his... He could face Dominic Team in the second round, which people are pointing to as a real landmine match. Although, if, I don't know if it's a real landmine. If everyone's being like, look, there's a landmine. Landmines <laughs> are, supposed, are supposed to be hidden. Rafa already got asked about it in press today. Uh, team is the, our rose already to the top 50. I didn't realize he'd gotten that high that quickly. He's the youngest guy in the top 100 still, so he seems very legit. If you haven't seen him play, he's if Grigor is baby-fed, People call a team a bit baby Stan, one-handed backhand, much more power type, heavy game like Stan. And the thing with team is that he's still like such a young guy, and and he, 
just grips and rips. Yeah. Like, he's, like, off balance and going for incredible winners and just hitting, like, flying out of his shoes. It's pretty fun to watch. I yeah, mean, it also it, it also is completely combustible. I mean, oh, yeah. he could very easily lose, lose one, first one two, and one. He could lose for time to lose, Mathieu. Yeah, he could lose to Mathieu because um, he has to be on. But he, he's had a good lead-up week. Um, he had a few good wins in Nice. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll see. As they say now in tennis, there is an I in team. I say that. Courtney's rolling her eyes, but I think I'm pretty funny. Nadal could then get Almagro fourth round, who he lost to in uh, Barcelona, which is one of his three clay court losses. First time Rafa has had three losses going into the French since 03, when he didn't even play the French. So, because he was a 16-year-old, and just not something 16-year-olds do. Um, then uh, Tommy House is also in there, but Tommy House is a little bit suspect these days with injury. Uh, Steve Johnson's actually in there, too. Steve Johnson could theoretically... Maybe beat Almagro, make a third round. It'd be a nice surprise. He's getting close to top 50, cementing himself as American number two. Very quiet, having a good year. He's not really Roland Garros relevant. I just wanted to point him out and give him some data. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, are we talking about Steve Johnson's draw at the French Open? When, what happened? Because he made the final. <laughs> Did of the I fall asleep? <laughs> he made the final of the Bordeaux Challenger. You tell even woke up five years later when Steve Johnson's draw was relevant. Anyway, uh, then there's Dimitrov and Ferrer and Anderson. Anderson, by the way, nowhere near Burdich, worth pointing out. Ferrer, Dimitrov. Do you see Rafa making the... Let's go for a little further. And then in the, second, in the next quarter, it's Stan and Murray are the two anchors with no one of real note in there. Panini, Gasquet, Malfis are all erratic and not expected to do much. But Gasquet doesn't even know if he's going to play. Right. So And he's got Tomic in the first round, which is hilarious because basically they can't both retire, can they? From one match? <laughs> they could. They could try. But um, that's a pretty funny first-round match. It's going to be absolutely horrendous. It's gonna be, I'm going to love it. It's, it's, gonna, gonna be it's just going to be really bad tennis, um, um, just because they're both completely yeah. out of form. So do you see Rafa making the final? Yes. Yeah. I think you have I think, to. I think you have to. Um, you know, the best bet to knock him out would be a Ferrer in the quarters, rematch of last year's final. Ferrer Hopefully obviously, much more competitive than last year's right, final. Right, and, and Ferrer took out Rafa um, in Monte Carlo, and one of the interesting things about Ferrer is that watching him play in Rome, specifically, he kind of had this, like, incredible, even more so than, like, he was kind of just pissed. Like, he he had, but but in a good way. Like, he was actually... Hungry. Hungry, yeah. yeah. He was, he was, when he played Djokovic in a great match, three sets, I mean, really high-level clay court tennis, he walked out there with belief that he not only could win the match, but deserved to, like... This was obviously a match that I'm going to win. Yeah. And, uh, it's interesting because I think maybe he hadn't played Djokovic on clay in a while. Maybe. And it was one of those things like you look at it like, I don't know why this example popped into my head, but like Pam Shriver back in the day used to get walloped on the regular by both Navratilova and Everett. And she lost to Navratilova in slams, like seven slams in a row. And she's like, I really want my shot at Everett or something. And then she got Everett and lost like one in love. And she's like, I got my shot at Everett. <laughs> it didn't go much better. But you know what I mean? Like, you you think, oh, you think the there's best. this one thing blocking me that if I get around it, I'm sure like Kevin Anderson feels the same way about Burdich. He's like, probably like, I want a shot at some of the other guys who are in the 5-8 right. to eight range. And anyway, uh, yeah, I agree that Nadal will probably make the semi, the final, excuse me. But going back to my Ferrer point. Okay, go for it. Because I wasn't done. It's is hard. that he was playing with a lot more hunger. There was a lot, and, and he had that obviously confidence building win in Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I think that that's a potentially very dangerous match for Rafa. I agree. Um, so that I could see him going out there. And then obviously he could go out to Bavrinka if Bavrinka gets that far. And I'm just not sure because 
uh, you know, he's obviously the number three seed and, you know, won Monte Carlo, which was huge and is the reigning slam champion of the season. Yep. But uh, obviously, we as we saw in the last couple of weeks, he can also lose very, very early. It just kind of depends. So, you know, I think best of three will help Stan um, here. Um, but uh, once he gets there physically, can he do it? I don't know. But those are the two that I see... Uh, that are the most dangerous in Rafa's draw. Stan and, and Ferrer. Yeah. I mentioned Almagro before I should clarify. I don't think Almagro could actually finish off a best of five match against Nadal at a slam. It could be the most painful thing in the world watching Almagro be like two sets up on Rafa and seeing how it implodes. Well, it, it would, would be like when he was up on Ferrer and imploded oh, in the Australian Open. That was that was the worst disgust That was the worst match. That was the worst. <laughs> ever seen. I asked him afterwards if he thought he had like mental problems. Like, you know, like I tried to say choking but nicely and he was like, no, I don't think I have mental problems that I won the first two sets. It's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> you just don't get how choking works, dude. Come on. Uh, uh, anyway, so that's the top half. Uh, Murray, Vavrinka, if it happens, could be an interesting quarter. Murray played much, much better in, in Rome. We haven't talked about him that much there. He's sort of reestablished himself. He's coming into form when he wants, when he thought he would be. And things are at least looking up for Murray, who is still coachless as of recording this. But that might change in the near future or semi-near future. And we'll see how things go for Andy. Bottom half of the draw is less loaded, I think it's fair to say. If Maria Sharapova was the ultimate loser in the draw sweepstakes, Roger Federer is the ultimate like winner, EGOT, give him every award known to man in the draw sweepstakes because he's got a cake-ass draw. Cake-ass is actually a Swiss word that means French Open, weirdly. <laughs> Strange coincidence. Weird. Yeah, so Federer uh, gets, has nobody to speak of in his draw except for the only like exciting name we have that's like a fun name to take out is Golbis, who's a potential fourth round. I bang on Golbis to make a fourth round and then do anything there is not a sound investment, as we're well aware. We've... He's my pick, though. I mean, if, if you're going to take a player in the men's draw to have a breakout run, he was the player that I picked. I would pick, uh, if, if it's not going to be Federer in the semis, I'd pick Batista Agut. <laughs> you and you and your love affair of RBA. How great would it be to have a random Goldman Batista Agut quarterfinal? It would be lovely for a very small segment of tennis fans <laughs> who, and completely anonymous for everyone else. Who love that rivalry, know that it's the best rivalry mm. in the ATP right now in terms of just like, in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of chatter. Almagro Sock, that's a pretty good one. Those two eh, got into it in Houston. They did. And it was hilarious. It's funny, but it was also kind of pointless. With with they didn't execute their they didn't land their punches. Golbus would verbally For sure. would land his punches. For sure. No doubt about it. Golbus, by the way, is in the final of Nice. Mm-hmm. And we're also play the bonus. So mm-hmm. that's nice for everyone involved. Yeah, Federer has a nice draw. I see him getting through. Otherwise, if he doesn't, it's a big opportunity for somebody. And then lastly, the Djokovic quarter feature is anchored by Milos Ronic, who played really well. I think we've both been impressed by him on the clay. Mm-hmm. How he really hasn't had a dip in form surface-wise, surface-based anyway, at all. He was a tiebreak away from beating Djokovic in straights in Rome. He lost in three. But Djokovic, even though he has a tough draw, could get uh, Joao Sousa first, and then Jeremy Shardy, who beat Federer in Rome second, Chilich third, uh, Songa fourth, Nishikori or Ronich in the quarters. Not an easy draw whatsoever. Won't but be I think Nishikori, but yeah. Yeah, because of the because of his injury. Yeah, it's very fair. What do you make of Novak's chances? Not just in this quarter, but in this tournament. And we can play it now all the way into the final. Play us out your end game. Yeah, no, I think it's a it's a good draw for Novak. 
it would have been better for Novak and Rafa had Federer and Stan switched. So if Federer had landed in Rafa's quarter, or sorry, Rafa Rafa's half, yeah. and Vavrinka landed in Djokovic's half, not like significantly so, but it, it's somewhat, somewhat, because I think that a Federer-Djokovic uh, matchup in the semis is just Wild because card. of the way, yeah, just because of the way those two get up for it, like I, it's a tough one to call, but I, I pick Novak to win the men's side. I think that it's his time. I think that, you know, I was particularly quite impressed with just the way he's dismantled Rafa in the last two matches that they've played this season. Yeah. It's on a four-match, I think, win streak, four or five-match win yeah, streak four-match win streak against Rafa yeah. this year, Miami and Rome finals. Right. There were. None of them were five, best of five. Um, the, no. the last best of five was the loss in the U.S. Open finals, so that is an, uh, a thing, too, but he's played well. I'm just not going to bet against a guy who thinks he's playing for the glory of Serbia. I don't say that, like, as a joke. Like, I'm serious. Like, I think that he really does feel a sense of kind of responsibility that maybe if he kind of wins this tournament and can kind of get the publicity and help his country, you know, which are going through devastating floods and and things like that, I think that that's, you know, sometimes that little piece of extra edge that can kind of push you through. Now, having said that, you know, we thought that maybe two years ago when... um, Last year. Oh, was it last year? Last year when Yelena Gencic died, his old former coach... I picked him again, and I kind of had the same rationale of like, oh, he's going to want to do it to as a tribute to his coach, and he basically choked in the, uh, in the, fifth, set. the fifth set. So, But he's been knocking on the door. 2011, he came in with an undefeated streak, beating Rafa on clay, got stunned by Federer in the semis. 2012, made his first final and had that two-day final that was rain-delayed and whatever and weird. That was funky uh, way to lose. And then yeah, last a terrible year, match. And then last year with the tough draw, meeting Rafa in the semis, uh, and then had the lead and choked it. But yeah. he's right there. It's a, it's just a matter of time for Novak to win this thing. I think I'm picking Novak too, and a lot of it is that same sort of fate type thinking, which is obviously not super grounded. But I think we like to convince ourselves that sport. Fate works. is science. What are you talking about? I think about? it totally is, and I just think I t- agree that he's just overdue, and I think that kicks into not only Novak's mind. I think it gets into Rafa's mind too. Like I can't keep pushing this guy's head underwater, continue, like, fending him off. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. Novak, he's going to keep putting himself in the situations. It's like Andy Murray winning a slam. I always thought Andy Murray would win a slam because he keeps putting himself in the position in these finals to do it. This will be Novak's if he makes it uh, his, I guess, only his second grand, uh, French Open final, now that I count correctly. Right. But still, it feels like he's been deep a lot in this tournament and been in these big situations with Rafa. And he's a great clay court player. He's four and four against Rafa on Masters finals on clay, which is really good, better than anybody else, obviously. And yeah, I think that he definitely can do it. And so I would pick him again if Nadal loses. I'm sorry, if Nadal wins, I'm not shocked. Right. It's the status quo. Yeah. Because he's won eight of the last nine. But I do think that Djokovic's chances are better than ever. And I think he, for all the reasons you said, He's really seems in his element as a sort of activist thing. After he won Rome, he went and did BBC interviews to raise flood awareness for the stuff that's going on in the Bosnia, Serbia, a little bit Croatia too. Yeah, I think this is Djokovic's moment. It feels is. like it. It feels like it, and he's got his game face on too. Yeah, I don't know if you were in his press today, but I was. he was he was very serious, and he wasn't the Joker. He wasn't the Joker. He was he was kind of he's ready to get this going. I think that there's almost a sense of like impatience, like let's start this tournament and let's go, like. Yeah. This is my opportunity, and I want to seize it. So, you know, whereas Rafa seemed a bit weary. Yeah, 
And he did in Rome. We, we, someone said, oh, Rafa, it was after the first couple of rounds when he dropped sets to Gilles Simone and Mikhail Eugenie. We were like, oh, Rafa, you know, we're not used to seeing you have these tough first rounds and lose sets to these guys in the early rounds on clay. Uh, what's going on? Um, we were so surprised. And Rafa said, well, get used to it because I'm getting old and these things will happen more. And, and everyone suffers mortal. in the end. And everyone suffers in the end. It was so dark. It was weirdly dark, that press conference. But obviously he rebounded, and he was quite good after Andy's press yeah. conference, after playing Andy. And the Murray match gave him a lot of energy. Yeah, but, uh, but, but I mean, I asked him today, I was like, earlier in the clay season, you said that you were struggling with your confidence. So now after having played all the tournaments in clay, and as you start your title defense here in Paris, where's your confidence? And he was like, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of like the dynamic is positive. I wasn't as negative in uh, Rome as I was in, in, in Monte Carlo and in Barcelona. I was playing the right way, like da-da-da. And he still pretty much got kind of, in a weird way, blown off the court by Novak. Yeah, that match the was not as close as the score no, looked at all. I don't think all. that it was. I don't think that it was at all. So, One final thing you're hoping for from this tournament, from either side in general? Something you want to see. It can be specific, it can be vague, anything. I would like to see Ernest Golas make the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. That's so what pass I want. Yes. Okay. That's what I would like to see. I would Why? like because I just think that he's had a consistent season. I think that one of the important things and one of the good things for the ATP would be if he would keep winning and be relevant on a big stage so that he has to go and sit in front of a microphone and talk to people. Because he he's an amazing talker, he's good for tennis. And, but when he's losing in, like, early rounds at, like, slams and stuff, nobody, you know, gets a chance to talk to him. So I think, like, having a big, relevant result at a major, he's due for that. I think that a lot of the other players um, have kind of been on the verge of it as well, you know, Dimitrov and Raonic and stuff. But, but I'd like to see, I'd like to see some, good, some good results from him on the big stage because he doesn't play the slams well. Very fair. I think that's definitely right. He's had some disappointing slam losses recently. He lost a... Query in Australia. Query played really well in that match mm-hmm. uh, and has not had a great year since then, but played really well in that one match. And uh, he lost to Heider Maurer in the U.S. Open, which was terrible. And then he amusingly picked Heider Maurer to win the tournament <laughs> afterwards, which was great. And I do, and we agree, we talked before about how we think that Golbis is under-marketed by the ATP. They don't kind of understand how great this guy is uh, as an entertainer, as a brain to pick on the tour. And so for them to be sort of forced to do it would be a nice kick in the ass for them to start recognizing his gifts as he's, someone who can sell the sport and win fans over and keep people engaged and caring about it. He's the ATP Pekovic. Yeah. He's the guy that if even if there's no interview request put in for him, you should be going to journalists and being like, hey, do you want a one-on-one with Golis? I can give you 10 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes. That's all you need with the guy. And you're going to walk away, I guarantee you. With just, uh, real, I mean, depending on the questions that you ask and, like, stuff like that and how you... And his mood a little bit. And his mood a little bit. But but if when he's in a good mood and he's willing to talk, I mean, he's, you know, him and Pekovic are neck and neck in terms of, like, two players that I enjoy just... I don't even go in with, like, a agenda of questions. Like, let's just talk. And something good always comes out of it. Something very interesting and thought-provoking. So I'd like to see that. I'd at like the, to see him relevant. At the very least, a great match against Federer would be cool. Yeah. Well, Federer. They haven't played that much recently. Yeah. It'd be a cool pairing. Um, and he's them before in Rome. That's true. So, on clay. My pick is simpler. It's just I want a, a great three-set women's final. Okay. We haven't had a great French Open women's final in quite a while. I'm racking my brain trying to think when the last three-setter even was. Was it Capriati-Gleisters? Does anyone sense that? Right. That sounds right. 
yeah, if it's not that, then I'm blanking on something that wasn't very good. <laughs> because it's been pretty crap lately. Yeah, yeah no, that's right. Yeah, that's go. my wish. Okay. Simple. Sign still delivered. Listen, ladies. Par avion. Par avion. Exactly. According to Wynn, she and this city have not gotten along historically, but she did just take out a big spider, so she's feeling pretty on top of the French at the moment. As Ben stood idly by. Okay, you guys, let this... I wasn't he's gonna, all equal opportunity. I wasn't going to ruin your moment. You are like, ooh, let me get a shoe. <laughs> you were really into it. And it was cathartic, it seemed like. It was not cathartic. It was disgusting. There are spider guts on my flip-flops now. Thanks a lot, spider. And that is easily the largest spider that I have ever seen in a domesticated environment. <laughs> Murray really announced himself back on this season in that match against Nadal. And that's big because he was, for a while, completely MIA. He still hasn't made a final or won a tournament or anything yet this year. And he's only going down in the rankings at the moment and has a big chunk, obviously, to defend um, in Wimbledon. Although not that much after Wimbledon, which is a nice way of spinning it. I mean, hey, you're kind of at rock bottom there, Andy, rankings-wise, so enjoy it. Um, yeah, what did he make of Murray's week, and how soon can he be considered a factor to really contend at these tournaments? Obviously, Clay is never his best, but then how does it set him up looking farther forward to grass and that defense? Yeah, I think that what he said after the loss to Rafa was important, which is that he expected himself to be playing good tennis at this time of the year. That. Yeah. So I think that, uh, and Andy isn't really one to kind of spin things or say things that are not true. Like, I think that that's right. He thought that this was about the right time. So it was a confidence-building match for him. Um, I still don't expect anything from him at the French he could lose in the first round. I think, obviously, everything comes down to grass for him. Um, That will be where he feels the most pressure. That will be where he feels like he actually will be expected to perform. Because I think in a lot of ways, he's been given a free pass, you know, for the last six months, um, eight months. Um, nine months, 11 months, but he's been given a free pass. And so when he gets back to Britain, that will be when, um, you know, it kind of shit hits the fan in a lot of ways yep. for him. Um, but I mean, I did want to kind of just mention, like, in addition to when we're talking about the Murrays and the Fetters and Marinkas, all the younger names and other names that are going to be, I mean, around it, she played his best match on clay he played ever. So good. He played so good against uh, Djokovic in the semifinals, pushed him to three sets, had a mini, a set and a mini break lead in the tie break. Is that a thing? And a hit, set and a mini break? I'm, I'm making it a thing okay. because that was a really poor decision to go big forehand down the line. He netted it, and then Novak won four straight points to take the second set tiebreaker, and then won, I think, 6-3 in the third. But, yeah. you know, Raonic, that was super impressive. Uh, obviously, Dimitrov is there. I still don't think he's he's really quite there physically for Clay, but he's there. Anisha Corey, obviously. We haven't talked about Anisha Corey making the final of exactly. Madrid. Um, we true. haven't done a show about the men since then. Um yeah, no, Nisha Corey making the final of Madrid is huge. And the fact that from every sign is that he got he would have won that match if he hadn't gotten mm-hmm. hurt, and Nadal got very lucky to escape from that. Imagine if Nadal had won none of those three tournaments. Forget even that. Imagine if Rafael Nadal lost to Kei Corey in, in a Masters Madrid final. That would have been bad news. That would have been a shocker like none other. And even now, like, you know, when we talk about that Madrid title there's a little bit of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, because yeah. you can't just straight, say straight out that he won it. And, and Rafa did not have a very tough draw on Madrid at all. The toughest, highest-ranked opponent he played is Burdich, who he owns. He played better. He owns I mean, everybody he played pretty well in Madrid, but we all know Madrid is, is a tougher one to kind of use as a gauge for Paris anyway. But assuming that Nishikori is healthy, that's a big one. You know, a Dolgopolov, a Golbis. There are a lot of names in there 
that can just pull a big upset on any given day in the first week and in early and second week. So isn't it nice? Isn't this what we kind of been waiting I, for on the ATP absolutely. for quite a while? I am loving it. I am loving it. She I is, am loving it. You should see the arm gestures that are happening now. For those imagine Somebody bring me some hair. I was about to say that exact same thing. It is this it is the Liz Lemon Somebody bring me some ham choreography. Uh, <laughs> it's like very a, fossy. Like, it's very fossy, very jumping jack, very uh, all sorts of energy going I on. I love it. She gets so excited about men's tennis sometimes. I do. When it's like, I get excited about sports. Yeah. And sports implies that there is a Sport. non, like a permanent outcome. Yeah, right. And in this section of the season, there has always been a pointless analysis every single tournament because it didn't really matter because Rafa was going to win. And yeah. that's fine. And congratulations, Rafa. You are amazing. And like the you best player You can appreciate ever. that in its own way, but it's not actively fun. Yeah, in the same not sort of me. way. In the same sort of way that going into a tournament should be. I mean, there should be these sort of like butterflies. What could, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Rafa, to his immense credit, removed all the suspense except for that one random time when he lost. The last R.I.P. sods. The last nine years in Paris. And that's massive. And having this tournament seem to be back in play. And once again, if Rafa wins, we're not saying he was never going to win. So don't call, say That's call what the whole thing is. Like, it is. When I say the tournament is wide open, it is as wide open as it has been. But it has never been wide open. So it's all relatively speaking. Like if you yeah. just make the, jaw, the, the door just slightly ajar, it is more wide open than it has ever been when it was shut tight and locked like with a deadlock. Who knows? Maybe Gaston Gaudio is going to come back and win. <clears throat> the ghost of Gaston. He's uh, Lunez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but here's a question. Uh-huh. Looking in Paris, who is more likely to win the French Open? Rafa or Serena? Serena. Interesting. I think so. What I do you think? I never say that. What do you think? I don't. I would say Rafa. Okay, explain. Because Rafa's Rafa, he's only lost there once. He's pretty, in, traditionally, um, you know, it was, in, it was one interesting moment of the same press conference that Ben was talking about after the Eugenie match, when obviously there was a lot of kind of night questions about, you know, you're losing a lot and things like that. And at some point, uh, maybe five or six questions in, he kind of said, you know, I have a good memory. I remember you know, all those times that I was winning. And I know that that's, like, different than what's going on now. And he's like, and also, that was just a year ago. Yeah. Like, okay, like, so we are, there's there's a part of me that thinks that there's a lot being made, uh, you know, about, obviously, his results through whatever, four tournaments, three tournaments. You know, I, I do, I don't think that that's without merit, the concern. Mm-hmm. You know, like, not because of his performance, but also just kind of hearing him speak and what he's been saying. I think mentally, it's a bit foggy for Rafa right now. And foggy does not work for Rafael Nadal. He's a confidence uh, player. He's a confidence player and things. He's kind of a keep it simple, stupid kind of guy. Yeah. Um, so right now, it's a little bit more complicated in his mind. And, and uh, you know, it's like, you know, he was making all these errors off of his forehand side and leaving the ball short. And, and our good friend, Carol Bouchard of L'Equipe, asked him quite you know, understandably, like, what's up with your forehand? And Rafa's like, you know, nothing's wrong with my forehand. I invite you to come to my practice, and you'll see that I'm I'm hitting my forehand really well. And it's like, that's not really an answer, because in matches, you're leaving it incredibly short. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I but that said, I am kind of with Rafa relying on his body of work and saying that once he gets to Paris, best of five versus best of three, he'll be fine. I think that with Serena, there will always be the the chance of a Sepalova. There will always be a chance of an Ivanovic. 
there will be a chance that she is not fully fit on any given That's day. True. That she is just more, Serena's just more, I think Serena is more dominant as but a player on the women, but all as on the, as a player on the women's side, but she is also more more vulnerable. That's than, fair. Than, than the best of three point is definitely fair. I mean, Chepalova BT Dubs has been <gasps> has done so bad. We, we we got to know her and like her I so have, much I in Charleston. Secondhand embarrassment now. She's kind of in a tailspin. It's never been it's cartoon been sound effect. <laughs> so bad. Crash. So bad. Pome. Oh. She was fun that one week. Mm-hmm. I hope she comes back at some point. And then for Serena, just because it is the best of three situations, she can't have an off day. The injury thing is the one where, you, is where I'm sort of thinking about switching my answer here because Serena does have more niggling things that come up and derail her during tournaments. It's happened the last two years at uh, Austra- in Australia, and three years actually in Australia. And yeah, but in any given, when it comes to the business end, if they both make the semifinals, sure. then I pick Serena yes, over Rock. Yes, I absolutely agree so with that. So that's a I mean, little bit where... It's always been our kind I'll of, uh, it, yeah. I think, our, our kind of standard mantra, which is that Serena's vulnerable in the first week. Yeah. She gets through the first week and makes makes semis. I mean, first week and a half. Yeah. So three quarters, quarters. even. She becomes the odds-on favorite. But in that first week, not the odds-on favorite to get through. And, and again, that's based off of body of work, not just like what she did the last couple of weeks or mm-hmm. the last year or two yep. years. Um, that's just kind of been the trend. So it, it's tough to, to bet. I always say this, like I would, I can't, I ve- I can't bet on Serena, but I would never bet against her, and yeah. that's the same situation. So at the end of last year, we did a segment on the show called "Remember When" or "Hey, Remember When," <laughs> when which was imagine that in Comic Sans with like three question marks. I think it is a Comic Sans kind of game. Yeah, it's a very good call, Courtney. Um, so we're gonna try that again, a mini edition with the Clay season. Um, so far, and I guess since we did it last year, is there anything that pops up from a little earlier as well you want to throw in there? Um, feel free to. Um, we, Yana Chepalova is where I made me think of it, because that's a hey, remember when Yana Chepalova made the Charleston final sort of and thing. And I hope that in a few years it isn't still a hey, remember when. You know what I mean? Because that would imply yeah. that, like, like yeah. she just, poof, like disappeared. She, I mean, she, there's a recoil phase for her, clearly, so hopefully she gets it back together. If not... Um, in Paris and on grass and not on grass then some point in 2014. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway. Hey, Courtney. Remember in that same tournament when Belinda Bencic beat Sarah Arani? I totally don't remember that. She did? <laughs> yeah, she did. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes, she did. And Sarah Arani was, like, so not happy about it. Yeah, Sarah Arani. She was quite devastated. had some rough moments this year. She did. She did. She did. Hey, Ben. Yes, Courtney? Remember when Vera Swanareva completely went ballistic on the green clay of Charleston and had... Possibly the best meltdown that I've ever seen. Yes. Oh, we're not doing just this year. No. Awesome. Oh, cool. Oh, All yeah. Time no, no, clay. no. All time clay. Better. Yeah. Good. No. Okay, oh, God. Exciting. Remember when this year is not fun. No, I was going to say. Okay. No, no. That would be much time. harder. Yeah. yeah. I would have started with Benchich then. That's good. Hey, Courtney. Remember when? You probably don't remember because you probably haven't seen it yet. There's this random video on the Roland Garros website that's titled, like, it's like a top five sort of thing. There's one category that's called crazy. And it's these five like completely non-associated things that are such different tones. <laughs> it's one of the most jarring watches. It starts off with um, like Michael Chang hitting underhand serve. Sure. Okay. Mendel. And then it goes to like Martina Hingis like weeping and having to help back onto the court. Of course. Okay, not related at all. And then it switches to um, like Gustavo Curtin drawing a heart. I was gonna on say the clay. Guga, yeah. Uh huh. And then it switches 
to Marat Seven pulling his pants down. Sure, yeah, huh? But, like, what did they... And then, and then it switches to Venus. Maybe I'm not getting the right order exactly. Venus getting a camera to take photos of Serena during the mm. trophy ceremony. So it's wacky. Like, it's like, what are these... Wacky Who moments. saw these five things? are like, yep, that's an item. <laughs> that, is, that is super random. What? But you watched it. I watched it out of sheer confusion. And I, you're talking I, about it I, now. I, this is an endorsement, let's be clear. <laughs> I think everybody should go watch this thing called, like, Five Best, and it's called, like, Crazy. <laughs> Google five best crazy and you're gonna get some weird Google hits. Yeah, no, Roland Garros is interesting because the content they have. I think they're known for taking all the matches off YouTube pretty quickly, so it's kind of this weird slam that doesn't have as much, at least to Americans anyway. Um, and it's also a rough time difference. I think the roughest of them for me anyway always was growing up. It sort of has the least. Uh, footprint footprint permanent footprint like in memories it's just it's the one you sort of forget it's really true i mean and it's uh, i think the tournament does itself a disservice by the way that it handles its content uh licensing stuff and whether or not that's because of contract deals with its uh rights holders like television and stuff like that i don't know but the fact of the matter is like and i think that this was just segueing really briefly into a slight rant but for a while last week, ATP decided that they weren't going to allow any more embedding of hotshot videos and highlight videos. Is ATP or tennis TV? ATP. Dis- oh. ATP. So ATP wasn't uploading it on the ATP World Tour channel. Um, instead, embedding it into an ATPWorldTour.com post. Mm. So you had to go to the post and then click on the embed and watch it. Which is like, dude, we see what you're trying to do. Totally cheap and cheesy. But anyways... I understand, obviously, the, 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 the financial reasons to do it, just like I understand the financial reasons for the, the, the French Open to protect its rights and not allow for viral videos and pirated videos and things like that. But then either, A, do it yourself and upload it yourself, which is, I think, what Wimbledon does. It's what the Australian Open does. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's what tournaments do. Uh, Indian Wells, for example, was a really good one that uploaded their own highlights and things like that. But if you can't, are not going to do it that way, like... You're gonna. I mean, you're giving up all the viral stuff that fans see, and yeah. they 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 want to. They they're trying to promote your tour. It's like, let a, them do it. It's clearly a big thing for Paris, <clears throat> not just the videos, because it goes to like they don't release the transcripts either. Right. Um, they never have them on the website for a few years now, uh, maybe ever. I think no, at least for a few years. I think they used to. Anyway, hey, remember when we got kind of sidetracked from our game? I totally remember that. <laughs> Ranting about Paris. Super duper. Hey, remember when? The aforementioned Gaston Gaudio and Anastasia Moschino won the same slam in 2004, Roland Garros. I do remember And it was that. like the what will go down as the most random result in terms of history, probably ever in terms of a pair of slam winners. And then it ushered in this era. After that is when the big four took over. They were like, mm-hmm. Gaston Gaudio, not happening. <laughs> that was like, they're like, whoa, whoa, you guys. Let's not. No, let's not go there. Yeah, that was not good. Hey, remember when Francesca Schiavone totally stunned everybody and won Roland Garros in 2010, including a blonde Samantha Stozer at the time? (laughs) (laughs) Do we not remember when Sam was blonde? She was blonde. She was blonde during that tournament. And she destroyed everybody. She beat Hennen. She beat uh, uh, Serena. She beat Yankovic. Killed Yankovic. And then she got Frank. Hey, remember when just recently in Rome, Courtney, Maria Sharapova, completely scoffed at a prep at a question I asked that implied that she might ever speak to another WTA player and not just like a specific one like any of them it was so weird <laughs> let's give you the audio of that because it's pretty spectacular and you have to imagine her face of just like I of, really... of, of comic of like overdone like clearly uh of comic disbelief 
and it was funny. And here it is. So you're like a meticulous researcher? Oh yeah, totally. I research every place. Yeah, I um, I call people. I know people in the industry that have been to places and get advice. Every time I go to a city, I have a whole list of things I want to do and see. I keep the list for a year until I get to the city. Um, restaurants, shops, I do it all. How do you do that? I have a notebook that I carry with me all the time, and and in my phone, it's in my memo, my notepad. Um, and that's pretty much, yeah, and then online. I mean, there's a lot of things to see online. But, <laughs> but there is a lot of false advertisement out yeah. there, so that's why you have to, like, call, you know, I have a few sources that, you know, like in the travel industry that have helped me. But have you ever anything you and other players talk about in terms of just, like, the tour? Me? <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> talking to the right person here? <laughs> What was so great about that moment is that it was Maria Sharpova completely embracing every negative thing that's ever been said about her as a, as a social person. It was incredible. Because, you know, I mean, so many players will say, like, even if you go back and listen to our episodes before with Alizé Cornet, where she talks about Maria and she says, you know, she's the, she's the princess. She's the one that... You know, she just kind of walks through. She doesn't talk to She's anybody. She's the cold one, the Russian one. She's the cold one, one the Russian one. Um, and so, but, you know, obviously there's kind of, at the same time, you see the other side of things where people are like, oh, no, like, she's fine. She just kind of does her own thing. Like, it's no big deal, like, whatever. So for Maria to kind of just basically, for the, and this is the first time I've ever heard it, but for her to completely own the fact that she's just like, why would I ever talk to anybody? Like, you're clearly talking to the wrong person. Like, what are you talking about? Like, when would I talk to anybody about my freaking travel plans? <laughs> it was so good. It was amazing. I loved it. Hey, remember Camilla Georgie? Hey, remember <laughs> when her press conferences in Rome were pretty eventful? Because we haven't talked about this Oh my yet. gosh, yes! We haven't really told this story. Okay, but you were present. I, wasn't I was at the, not. I wasn't at the first one. Not at the first the one, one, but you were at the second one. I was at neither, and but I just heard it secondhand from my Italian press corps in my room. So well, please, you, Ben. You do the first one or the second one, because I was at the second one. Okay, so um, Camilla Giorgi won her first round match. And Against Sibokova. It was a really good win. Sibokova, very good win. Went into press. Um, this is all secondhand, let me just say. Um, but it's through in, it's multiple, an interesting multiple, thing. multiple sources. The Rome press area is interesting because it's like multiple different rooms actually and there's an english speaking room and then there's like a couple of italian rooms and there's like a foreigner room and then the photogs so you kind of sit individually anyways i was in the italian room and so the woman sitting next to me um rosanna capabario i think uh who writes for okay tennis was telling me shout out yeah she translated i cite there we go but she was telling me that um camilla georgie's father came into press and that day or the, or the week before, a, an Italian uh, website did a full investigation on the Camilla Giorgi finances issue, which obviously we've is... We've discussed before. We've discussed before and was obviously uh, made... Uh, the original story came from John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated. But they kind of did their own thing and, and published uh, a document that I had never seen, which is a, a judgment, actually, that's been entered against the Georgies in the States for about $12,000. Um, that was entered in like last November. But anyways, he f- sought out that re- specific reporter that wrote the thing. And apparently the reporter is not a tennis reporter. He's actually like a reporter who just happened yeah. to write this thing. 
um, and sought him out and asked the Italian Federation comms director, is that that guy? Or he was like, who, who here, is this guy? Who is this guy? Here's who the person I heard. It's like he was just at, he went into the room and was like, where is the person? Yeah, exactly. And the person was awkward standing like right next to him. He was like, oh, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he was like, and then he started shouting in Italian. Um, your shit. You're, you're a piece of shit. Your shit. Your shit. How are you such shit? All of shit? you shit. It's shit, Everyone's shit, 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 shit. In, in Italian, obviously. Yes. Um, and the weird thing about this, in, 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 which is why the context of being in Rome is funny <laughs> to us, I think, is that, like, the Romans, uh, the Italian press, uh, were not, like, super phased by it. They totally shrugged. <laughs> they were, they like, were literally like, oh, by the way, this thing happened in Georgie's Pester. That would have been page one, numero uno New scandal. New York Post type stuff in like, the U.S. Open. Yeah, like if, if, uh, if Sloane's mom, after a, a win or a loss, was like, you know, screw all you guys for like writing all this crap about my daughter. Blah blah blah. That would be news. Yeah, but this it wasn't. Was not news. Wasn't news in Italy. And then um, after the second match, uh, Papa Georgie, his name is Sergio, who I think really looks like the Fraggle with the gray hair. It's a anyway, really look it up. It really is kind of eerie. And he's been very nice to me when I met him. But he does look like a Fraggle. Um, came back in there with a WTA or tournament babysitter, sort of minding him, sitting next to him. And then midway through the press conference, he was sitting there watching his daughter, being very proud, even though she lost, but it's fine. He was still happy to have this moment, you know, because it was his first time playing the Italian Open for the Georgies, weirdly. Um, well, not that weirdly, but sort of surprisingly, considering how much success she's had at various slams and stuff. Midway through, he spots the same guy again and starts, like, muttering, and then it gets louder and louder and louder, and you're like, we're doing this all again? Like, <laughs> oh, we resolved it last time. And now he starts, like, pointing and, like, the, you know... And then sort of is trying to get calmed down by the WTA woman. And eventually, on the way out of the press conference, he starts pointing and shouting again, and they leave. And it's just like, this is going to be a thing, apparently. At least annually, because maybe the Italian... That guy, I don't think it's, like you said, not a full-time tennis-dedicated traveling press corps type person. But, um, you know, it was an interesting moment that I don't think got much play in the U.S. So we no, thought it that didn't. it would be... Even though yeah. we both mentioned it on Twitter, I think. Yeah. It didn't get picked up a ton. Anyway. So there you go. So that's was, a Hey, Remember One. It was. Um, what else Let's has happened see. on Clay? Hey, Remember One, Maria Jose Martinez... Maria Jose... Martinez, Martinez Sanchez, Sanchez won Rome when they showed that when they when they every time up, they clap they, they, they show the graphic, champions I was like, like what happened and there? that same year Aravain Rosai won Madrid yeah that was a weird that year. was a strange that year was, it was 2010 I believe let's go ahead and forget that year of WTA clay Aravain Rosai and then Fran won be... and then Fran won the French that's right that was one of the strangest clay years ever who won Stuttgart 2010 God um I'm guessing Justine? Possibly. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. That was weird. Hey, remember when Dinara Safina retired in Madrid? We, we haven't talked about, this talked about it. Let's we haven't talked about this it. Is, I'm going to just completely see the floor you, to you, Courtney. No, 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 no. Because I've written, I've written about it. So you start, and then I will chime in. Because okay. most people have already kind of read, I assume. Maybe not. Maybe you guys don't read me. That's totally cool. I don't take it personally. Just like Dinara never took it personally. Maybe she did a little bit when people <laughs> criticized her. But, Ben, what will you remember of Dinara Safina? Okay. It's a complicated question because she has a very sort of, for she someone who wasn't, ar- wasn't around very long in the big picture of things as a relevant player, and let's be clear, she was, when we talked about 
sort of the best thing. She was in the conversation, but she had a very small window where she could have won a slam. I mean, she went from being number 16 um, and winning Berlin out of nowhere and putting Justine into retirement in 2008 to being the top seed at Roland Garros in 2009, uh, just barely over uh, 12 months later, and seeing it as a huge failure by that point because she would lost three slam finals. So And then she never made any more and kind of went away pretty quickly. So she burned bright and then burned out pretty fast. Yes, absolutely. Um, so in terms but, of oh, that... how bright it was. <laughs> how bright it was, especially in Slovenia. But yes, I will remember her for playing some terrible Grand Slam finals. I think has to be said. But a bigger picture, I hope that I'll remember her as someone who overachieved massively to get that far that quickly. And especially in the shadow of her brother. I mean, she was just Marat's sister for the longest time. It was not a relevant player on the big stage at all until very suddenly it switched. Um, I guess pretty close when she started working with Shelko Cry, and that was a weird, weirdly successful pairing um, in terms of results. And yeah, that's what I'll remember, I guess. And I'll remember going away and having the problems and not and seeming like unfinished business but also that she'd done so much in such a quick time that kind of felt like she got everything she was almost supposed to and what was there left for her to do that's kind of a feeling i have she was also got a lot of criticism for being a slamless number one which is a weird era and that could come back i mean we have the systematic issues that make that a very possible thing are still there it's not like the rankings suddenly work because they're in a slamless number one but it was that chain where wozniacki Yankovic. Yankovic and Safina. I think there was a stretch, like if you put them back to back, there was a time beginning to end, I forget how you do the math, where it was more often that the number one had not won a slam than had for the stretch of those three reigns. So, anyway, that's it all, Murder. But, Courtney, you have a much tighter association with Tanara. You, after all, helped confiscate a cutout of her. Liberate. Liberate. I don't know why. You're so negative. I don't, confiscate is probably the wrong word. You're so negative across the board when you speak of Dinara, and I take great offense to it. I have to say then. Okay. So, uh, yes, no, I mean, Dinara is great. I mean, I think that she obviously, I think, has a certain place within kind of WTA fandom in a way, and, and that's on both sides of the scale. I mean, like on some, for some, she was kind of like, the weird underdog, weird pick who played this game that was not particularly aesthetically pleasing. No. Yeah, that's what I just remember not, I didn't enjoy watching her. Sure, play. sure. And like, you know, and, and kind of was like childlike in the way that she was sometimes and just very innocent about a lot of things. And that was all endearing to me. And I, and I always really enjoyed it. And one of the, the thing that I will always remember about Dinar is that when she kind of took over number one and had that reign and you know, at the same time was getting all of the, the criticism and, and being asked about it every single press conferences, after wins, after losses, whatever. You know, how does it bother you? You know, getting shit from Serena. Yeah. You know, about Madrid and Rome. And, and, and I, I, I would actually be very interested to know if Serena ever regretted saying that. Because I, to me, that is the meanest Serena has ever been. Like, not just like mean funny, but I was like, wow, that's just like mean. Like, that's a mean human being on a mean human... Like, that's just uncalled for and yeah. unnecessary and I shouldn't ask her about it actually like that was always my question I was just like does she regret it and you know because it, it yeah that was as mean as I've ever seen her be in in a press conference right after she won Wimbledon Serena mm-hmm. so I mm-hmm. guess yeah she was clearly on a term of an emotional high sure yeah. but because that quote basically legitimized every critique that anyone ever had of Denara and made her seem like a joke like a joke and and the bottom line was that hey not my fault you ain't playing. Yeah. Serena, 
You know what I mean? Like, it's not my fault that you're losing early at the French and I'm making it deep. And it's not my fault that, you know, like, you're, I'm playing tournaments and you're not playing and I'm winning. And, and that's Yeah, because always... when Dinara was number one, it wasn't a time when Serena was injured. No, she it just... It was not like Wozniacki, who Wozniacki no, was... she was, was chilling number, out. Wozniacki got to number one at a time when a lot of people weren't at their best. When Serena... We talked about this before, I think, mm-hmm. with Wozniacki. But when Serena was out, when Venus was out, and Kim Kleisters was playing really well but very part-time... It's really what sort of set up Wozniacki to protect her. It's the Kleister scheduling. Mm-hmm. Dinara did it um, at a time when Serena was winning slams. When Serena, that makes it kind of ridiculous in the math point. I mean, I think when Serena made that comment, she was holding three of the four Grand Slams mm-hmm. at that point. Um, so yeah, it's when but you again, look at it that way. Oh, how could she not be number one? Sure. I, under, I understand Serena's thinking, but also Dinara clearly was doing a lot of things right. But it's not even that. It, what made me so annoyed about that comment from Serena was like. Take it out on the WTA. Yeah. Take it out on the ske- the system that is in place for determining who the rankings and things like that. But right now you're making the player who's done nothing wrong the butt of a joke. Yeah. And belittling her accomplishments. And I think that was that was to me the pure meanest moment, the meanest thing that she's ever done. So, but anyways, but like with Dinara, I mean, I think that you know when you look back on it, obviously it was it was like a two year thing with her career, but I think that what you said is absolutely right, which is the overachievement. That she never should have been in that position in the first place. No one would have ever banked on her to be able to play that type of tennis. And when Nara played well, she really was dominant. It was just heavy clubbing hitting. Um, and it was fun to watch. I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I liked watching Dinara. I mean, I could aesthetically like step back and be like, I understand why other people don't like watching it. But I enjoyed it. I mean... She threw up that ball. You didn't know when it was ever going to come down and if she was going to hit a serve. You just knew <laughs> that she threw it to the moon. And, um, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was definitely disappointing to, to, to hear that she had to finally retire with a back injury, um, no longer able to play. And, and, and this was, this writing was on the wall for this for a long time. Oh, for time. sure, yeah. And this was not a surprise. This was more of a official, resignation yeah, a little bit. It was, yeah. it was official. But, um, but my memories of her career personally will always be be really, really positive and, I mean, and what I was saying before is that, like, um, when I talked to her in interviews and when I was in press conferences with her during that time when she was number one and getting just kind of belittled in press all the time, she handled it so well and just really intelligently and with class, and it would have been nice if everybody else had done the same. There you go. That's how I feel about it. Hey, remember when dinner with Safina <laughs> or something? And I guess we can probably leave it with that. Sure. Yeah, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you guys for listening. And you can follow along with us when you're not listening to us by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash NCR podcast. And you can subscribe to our stream on iTunes and any other podcast service you enjoy, apps, websites, whatever. And leave us reviews. We like that. And... Keep on keeping on with us. It's going to be a long, long time. I know. In Europe, Ben. We're like backpackers, minus the not showering, thank God. Thank God. If Denara had a theme song, Courtney, what would it be? I want you to step Something into the body. Something by Evanescence <laughs> is what's screaming to me right now. Okay, we'll go with like that. Like the super emo Evanescence song from Daredevil. My we'll Immortal? That. Yes, yeah. that one. So that'll play us out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> U.S. We'll see you. Au revoir. Bye. You have to leave. I wish that you would just leave. Because your presence still lingers here. And it won't
There's just too much that time.